From the beautiful city of Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. And I'm thrilled for today's episode. We'll be discussing a very sharp, very innovative film, a cop movie. And we are honored to be joined by the film's producers, Daniela Alatore and Elena Fortes. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Nicholas. Very excited to talk about the film. <laughs> yes. I mean, first of all, congratulations on just making something truly just special. This is unlike anything I had seen before. It's rare when we get to say that. So for those who don't know about the film, tell the audience about a cop movie. What can we say without giving it away? I know. It's hard. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess I would start by saying that very happy to hear your words, Nicholas, because the idea was that, you know, it would be like a very unique and memorable experience for the viewer as it was for us throughout kind of this process of production, which was also very strange. Um, <laughs> but it's basically the, the story of two police officers uh, in Mexico City, Teresa and Montoya, who also fall in love. And it basically tells the story of, you know, how they entered the police force and their experiences within a very dysfunctional system, which is the Mexican justice system, as I'm sure many other country systems are. But yeah, I would say that. And then it's a film that combines fiction and documentary throughout. There are two main protagonists were also infiltrated into police academies because we really wanted them to understand what it meant to be within the police or to become a police officer in Mexico City. So it has like a very immersive component as well in terms of the actor's preparation. I was just going to say, this is a film by Alonso Ruiz Palacios, who in this film really plays, as Elena just said, with the boundaries of, of nonfiction and really immerses the audience into this human experience of what it means to be a police within a dysfunctional system, which is the system, the police system, that we live every day in Mexico. As you expressed, Nicolas, it's a film that is very surprising. Some people describe it that as soon as you think you've got things figured out, then it changes again. Mm -hmm. which <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a nice way of describing something that is surprising and that it also forces you, hopefully, to see things from a different perspective. And I would also say that it offers like a very wide spectrum of emotion <laughs> for the viewer. It's also a very playful film full of humor. It plays around with the cop movie genre. It plays around with audience expectations. It's full of surprises, twists and turns. And it's a very layered film as well. So it, I won't say more. <laughs> Obviously, you know, the corruption in Mexican police force and, and justice system, as you touched on, is... It's been well documented over the years. And, and, you know, I think distrust in police force is a mostly universal feeling. You know, uh, we certainly feel it here in America, especially as people of color, but most certainly in, in Mexico. What motivated you and Alonso to tackle the subject of policing in Mexico, which in itself is bold? I'm going to let Elena talk about the origins of the project. But before going there, I, I wanted to say that we do know, and this is something that 
we've seen the film with audiences in different parts of the world. We know that the situation in Mexico and the, the situation of the police is very specific of Mexico. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is that the relationship between police and citizens is broken everywhere in the world. Yeah. And the big question is, how did it break? When did it break? And is there a possibility to restore that relationship between police and citizens? And I think that's also a very important question nowadays, specifically in the moments that we're living and to the very specific realities of, of the relationship with our own police force in different parts of the, of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think that sort of explains, you know, part of the origin of the project. That question, one of our advisors says all the time, you also can't have a functional society without a police force or mm -hmm. some sort of security force. So so it's a huge challenge, you know, <laughs> from the start. But he also says, you know, police corporations and forces around the world are a reflection of their society. To us, that became very interesting because we started the project wanting to make a film on kind of the impunity crisis in Mexico. And we knew we wanted to work with fiction and we knew we wanted to work with Alonso and Alonso wanted to also work on something that he felt would be impactful or useful. It really placed everyone involved outside of their comfort zone from the start. We did follow a very long research process, interviewed a lot of people working within the justice system. We were originally going to do it on following a case in a prosecuting office, but that had no cinematic potential at all. Right. <laughs> once right. we once we looked at you know at uh, what it would translate to, we eventually landed on the police because there is a relationship you know a clear relationship between film and cops. There was an opportunity there to play with the genre. We were also really interested in what Daniela said. Like when did we start? mistrusting the police because, you know, maybe 40 years ago we would celebrate, you know, their efforts and there was a national police day. So we were also really interested in reviewing how police officers have been portrayed in film historically in Mexico. So we started basically looking at, at it from different angles and then also interviewing a lot of police officers and eventually found Teresa, our main protagonist, and Montoya, who is her partner, her romantic and official colleague in the force. Right. So it was basically the origin was, uh, you know, tackling the corruption and impunity crisis in Mexico. And then from there, and, and knowing that we wanted to do some sort of formal innovation with the documentary and fiction. I like what you mentioned uh, right now, Elena, about the, the formal innovation, because I think that was also very much at the center of our conversations from the beginning. And coming from the world of documentary or the world of nonfiction, we've also had several conversations and discussions about what can be effective in a way, what can actually change the way we see things, mm -hmm. especially with a subject matter that we all feel that we have our own experience with, that we're all, you know, that we all know a lot about. The hardest thing is to break preconceptions. So we were also talking about, is there a way that also form can put us in a different place and pushes us to think differently or from a slightly different perspective towards the subject matter that we think we know everything about. And it was the case of our own experience as the entire production team, Alonso coming more from the narrative side, working with us that had worked from, you know, a lot in the, in the documentary and, and kind of for the three of us to find a common ground that really pushed 
what we were comfortable with. And that's also something that came from the beginning. So I think it was the subject matter, but it was also the film itself, the form, the storytelling, the way the film was going to take us on these very strange ride into trying to feel a little bit of empathy towards a figure that we don't want to be feel empathy with. Yeah, I think, you know, as a viewer, I think the form is as much of the piece as anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, w- when watching it, as the mediums were changing, I myself, I was like, this is providing such a more holistic view of the subject matter because there's truth in each of them. You know, there's truth in the interviews, there's truth in the fictional, uh, you know, more cinematic scenes. There's truth in the cell phone footage as the actors are going through the police academy. And I mean, obviously that's, you know, like that's why we do what we do. That's why we do film is to find the truth. But there's different kinds of truth in each of those forms. So it was fascinating to feel all of those different mediums kind of come together and provide a blanket truth. That was what was really special to me seeing this. And I think it could have been a massive failure, but it was, um, in the end, we were just wondering whether we would manage to like figure it out and with the editing and just like how everything fit in. Uh, But I also would like to say that it does raise a larger question. And this is something we really struggled with in terms of the festival strategy and distribution because Mm -hmm. the entire industry is structured around categories and some festivals would ask, you know, for the film, for the narrative competition, others for the documentary. And I think, you know, in the end, it's, you know, films are films. And uh, what's important is precisely the truthfulness of the medium and the truthfulness towards its subject matter, its characters. And, and to us, that was kind of like the guiding light for the entire process. But it has been interesting to see audiences' reactions that are, get uncomfortable when they don't know for sure you know, what category the film fits into. <laughs> and I think that's an interesting debate now. There's so many other films, you know, that are that have been coming out. Ever, you know, uh, The Arbor is one of the films that inspired our formal approach here. But there's so many films that, you know, can't be really like categorized in a way. And we were part of a panel recently called New Directions in Documentary that, you know, precisely opens up that discussion. But I think it's something that will definitely or hopefully will come up in the future. Yeah. I was going to add two more things. One is that we knew from the beginning that we didn't want to make a documentary or a non-fiction or a film or a hybrid film that had answers to the issue that we were dealing with. We really just wanted to generate questions. And we've seen in different parts of the world, but also with different audiences, that it's a film where not everybody laughs at the same time, not everybody, you know, gets uncomfortable at the same time. And what it means for us is that it's a film that allows the viewer to have its own experience of the film. And that's, it's a huge value for us because Alonso sometimes talks about how the actors were avatars of the audience or or they, they were supposed to really play as avatars and mirrors of the audience and how their own process of discovering and trying to break their preconception was something that Alonso and us wanted the audience to experience, to experience during the film. That's why the giveaway at the beginning is not all laid out 
but it's something that really unfolds with the experience of the viewer. And the second thing that I was going to say is that recently I was part of a Q&A of another film that I, I was part of called Users from Natalia Almada. And she was saying something that really, it just like resonates a lot. And she was saying how if we're in a world where information is just all out there and historically, you know, documentaries would give information. If we're in a world where all the information is out, what are films supposed to be doing? Maybe it is showing the information in a different way or experiencing the information in a different way. So I like the idea that that nonfiction hybrid different forms of films are not necessarily giving us the information itself, but it, they're actually just giving us different ways of seeing and feeling that information. Yeah, that's a great way to look about it, you know, like a different way to experience it. You guys pulled it off really, really well. If we can real quick, let's talk about creating the relationship and the trust that you had to, I'm sure, with Teresa and Montoya. Did they have any reservations about initially going into this project? Yes, for sure. I mean, and throughout too, as we as it has evolved, but the most important thing was they were willing, you know, they really, really wanted to tell their story. And the intention of the project from the start was, you know, was clear was, you know, how do we rebuild or reconstruct this relationship that has been broken for the well-being of all, you know, for common well-being. So Mm -hmm. as a society. So in the beginning, we had thought of fiction as a way of possibly protecting identities in, you know, in, in case it was necessary or uh, portraying certain events that went on within the force that were would be impossible to document as they happen, you know, small acts or large acts of corruption <laughs> um, that were part of their story. And then, you know, eventually it became a whole different resource. You know, there were some budget constraints and limitations that, you know, forced us to come up with creative solutions or film certain uh, scenes like the one that was shot uh, during Pride because originally was a stadium and we didn't have enough, you know, money for a stadium or the amount of extra. So uh, somewhere, you know, kind of solutions, uh, practical solutions to some of the problems, the the budget limitations, and then others were self-imposed. Like, you know, there's a a birth scene that was, you know, Alonso really wanted to to shoot a real birth because the baby dummy that they use in most productions looks really fake. So that was like a whole other added challenge. Um, But with Teresa and Montoya, they were mostly concerned with uh, how, because how the audience in Mexico would perceive them in the film, because we had shown the film, you know, to crew members for, it's a film that premiered in Berlin and then it traveled to a lot of sort of virtual festivals. And then San Sebastian was the first festival that we went to with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was the first time we saw that the film with an audience, but it was still an audience in Spain. So it was a different context. And then just last week, the film premiered in Morelia and we've done screenings ever since uh, in theaters and, and with other officers. And I think that for them was, you know, the first time they realized that, you know, audiences did not perceive them in a negative light after the film. And they were really concerned about what their family members would think of them because they have family in the police force. There were also some concerns regarding their own situ- legal situation because they left the police force. Sure. We did have like a legal team backing them in case, you know, the the corporation would want to go against them based on the film, but it hasn't happened. And on the contrary, I mean, what's interesting is some police officers think they're being portrayed negatively. And then some audience members think that they're 
being portrayed too positively. So I think that's uh. a, a good sign that it's <laughs> that it's balancing that because we were we that was one of the biggest challenges. We did not want to make a film that was either too critical or overly critical and overly apologetic of the police. We, right. we wanted that to be also you know as truthful as it could be to their their story and what it's like for many police officers in Mexico to join the force and to patrol and, you know, to be on the beat, basically. And also, Nicholas, I think you're, you're raising also such an important question, which is like the relationship between filmmakers and subject in documentary film or in nonfiction. And there's always the process of shooting has to be free, but full of the responsibility that comes with telling someone else's story. Like there's always these dance between being true to the characters and the story, but not throwing them under the bus. And I think it's constantly changing. Mm -hmm. You know, the truth is there isn't just like one truth. I think, again, going back to the preconceptions, the, the challenge always starts with breaking our own preconceptions, being true to our characters and being open and honest. And specifically with Teresa and Montoya, listening to Teresa talk about her story, it was very interesting from the first moment. First, because she just is an incredible storyteller. She has so many different stories, like police officers, they have an incredible amount of stories. Secondly, she was very aware of deficiencies and all the complications of the institutions. But at the same time, she always says that her blood will always be blue. So she, she, she loves the police force. She comes from the police. So there is these awareness of the deficiencies of the institution coming from a, a deep love of that place. So I think that's very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the other thing that's so powerful in picking Teresa and Montoya as your as your subjects is having a love story in the midst of this dark kind of gritty and very complicated world to have a love story in the midst of that for me was, was also super powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, that, that was a huge gift. The, the cherry on top of the cake, right? Yeah. Like a love story at the center of these two characters. But I also think that the love story is on the other end of how much they feel abandoned by their own institutions mm -hmm. and by citizens. So on the other end of the spectrum, there's these very powerful love story where they specifically say, this is, this is all we have. We only have each other. And that's also a reflection and a mirror of all the other things that they don't have. Man, it's, it's so much to unpack. I could talk about this movie for another three hours, but <laughs> unfortunately, we <laughs> must move on. A cop movie, my friends, it is a must watch and it's available right now on Netflix. I implore you all to check it out. We're going to take a quick break, everybody. When we return, Daniela and Elena are going to help us out with our favorite segment. Give me three. Hello, I'm Sonia, and this is my Movie Minute. Last week, I went to see the thoroughly enjoyable and moving film King Richard with Will Smith playing the title role. It tells the story of Venus and Serena Williams' early years as they were growing up in Compton and becoming the greatest tennis players of a generation. While the movie is, of course, about the sisters, it focuses its narrative around their intense, insistent, sometimes irritating, but totally inspired and inspiring father, Richard Williams. In the quote-unquote real world, Richard has been portrayed as overbearing, narcissistic, and controlling. 
In the film, he's portrayed as supportive, protective, and somewhere between psychic and savant-like in his training and parenting of Venus and Serena. My guess is that the reality is somewhere in between, or maybe all of the above. And I'm personally okay with the movie being a bit overly positive if that's the case. It's a lot of fun to watch, and at the risk of sounding lame, it's genuinely heartwarming. The sisters and family were directly involved in the making of the movie, and as we all know, however intense and grueling their training was, they've become two of the most incredible women in the world, both within their sport and as humanitarians. The story of the Williams family is truly exhilarating, and it makes for a great movie. I highly recommend you check it out, and if you do, let us know what you think. That was my minute. Thanks for listening. So tell me your names again. I'm Venus. I'm Serena. So what'd you think? I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next two. Venus and Serena gonna shake up this world. Venus Williams, who is your best friend? You, Daddy. Serena Williams, <laughs> who is your best friend? Venus. Then you. <laughs> then you. After Venus. All right, welcome back to Film Forward. We're here with Daniela Alatore and Elena Fortes. They are the producers of the riveting doc fiction film, a cop movie. And right now they're going to give us each three films that have inspired them, inspired their work. So we're going to go back and forth here. We're getting six. This is everybody's getting their money's worth today. So Daniela, give us your first pick. My first pick is San Soleil from Chris Marker. Beautiful. I haven't seen this film, so tell us what, why you picked this film. So it's it's a diary about image and memory. It's a very experimental film. It's these women that narrates the letters and reflections of a trip. And it's just like these incredible experimental combination of images that some are real and some are made up. And it was a film from 1983 that was just very poetic. And the first film that I ever worked on, knowing nothing about film or documentary film specifically in Mexico, it was like a big reference. So it, it just makes like a, a huge impact on me at that time. Sounds solid. It sounds uh, wonderful. I've heard great things about it. I haven't seen it yet, but that's why I love doing this segment. I get to add things to my queue. Elena, let's get your first pick. <laughs> I would say Waltz with Bashir uh, by Ari Fulman. And I think, you know, just... Just the idea of an animated documentary, I think, I, you know, had never come across my mind and the animation blew my mind. But also, I think just, you know, we make sense of the world through stories and we make up history through storytelling. And the idea that the film process itself would become a way for the director to access his memories that he had blocked, that to me was just mind-blowing. So yeah, I think both for, you know, just the animation, but also the filmmaking process as a strategy to unblock very painful memories um, was fascinating to me. Yeah, I agree. The animation (laughs) style is just so hypnotic. And then, yeah, it's just a brutally honest movie and something you you don't forget. If you guys haven't seen it, Walter Mm -hmm. Bashir, absolutely check it out. 
Daniela, let's get your second pick. So my second pick is even a less known film that is called Tropic of Cancer from Eugenio Polgowski, who's a Mexican filmmaker. This is a film from 2004. It's actually around 50 minutes. So at that time it was considered a short, but this is a film that was the winner of the first Morelia Film Festival that I worked at. Oh. And it's a portrait of, of human beings surviving off nature. Just you know, selling animals from these very small corner in the desert in Mexico. And, you know, it, it, there's a lack of commentary of any other like standard documentary or informational devices. And, and for me, it was just like a, incredible to see a Mexican film that would just not have any commentary. And also it was the beginning of a very important film festival called Ambulante that Elena founded and started. Um, and it was just really inspiring for me to get to know more Mexican documentary filmmaking. And this was like my window into that world. It sounds incredible. Do you know if it's available online anywhere? I don't know. Do you know if it's available? It, it actually premiered at Morelia, then it went at Sundance, and okay. Madrid, and, but it's called Tropic of Cancer, Eugenio Polgowski. It's a really beautiful and tough film. Do you know if it's available? Yeah. I, I think it might be on movie or it might be on film in Latino, probably. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I bet you it's on, on movie. A lot of the Sundance mm -hmm. stocks go there. I'm absolutely yeah. going to check it out. It sounds great. Elena, your second pick. <laughs> My second pick is uh, Little Dieter uh, Needs to Fly uh, by Werner Herzog. And I think like on a very basic level, it really made me think that, you know, I would have no way of surviving, you know, I have no survival skills. Like, you know, absolutely. If I were like stuck in an island somewhere, I would die like in a day or two. <laughs> um, but this is like the story of this fascinating man who... Uh, grew up watching American warplanes in Germany and then decided to become a pilot and then enlisted as part of the Navy, I think, in the U.S. and was in Vietnam. He was captured. He was one of very few prisoners to survive. He, you know, he fought. I remember this, like him telling you a story of how he fought a, a rat for a snake to eat after I don't know how many days he spent without eating. He was tortured. He crashed his plane several times after that and eventually died from Lou Gehrig's disease. And to me, I mean, not just the story was absolutely, you know, incredible, but I, Herzog takes him to all the different places he was at and then has him kind of reenact what happened. And, and, and that to me was also completely new, you know, how mm -hmm. to, how to kind of like get to the gist of, you know, a character and his life and it, the meaning of his life by bringing him back to these places and having him retell his own story. I thought that was fascinating. That, that also, I think became the basis of many of the films that we, you know, have, uh, we've seen lately, you know, like the act of killing that, you know, takes yeah. it to, to a whole new level. But, but that was also, I mean, it, it's a film that I, that, that I learned that from and a very memorable character. <laughs> and then he made a fiction film and I thought that was like useless. I thought that was <laughs> almost like, why would he do that? Like he's almost contradicting his, his, right. himself you and his so truth well. in documentary. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, but anyway, I watched that too and I enjoyed it, but yeah. not as much as a dunk. <laughs> uh, hey, Herzog, you can't, you can't go wrong. <laughs> right. No, you can't. Especially uh, his voice. You can yes. hear his voice forever and ever. <laughs> Whatever he has to say, you know, it's like, bring it on. <laughs> Absolutely. Daniela, your third and final pick, my friend. 
so I chose Far From Poland, which is a, a very strange film from 84 by Jill Gutmillow. I actually saw this film in 2014 at a Flaherty film seminar that I've been to many. It's this film seminar where you kind of spend a week watching films from 9 a.m. to 12 at night. You don't know what you're going to watch. You enter, you know, a, a dark cinema and then it just plays. And, mm. and Jill Gutmillow was actually there. It's a really interesting film because... Jill Gutmilo tried to cover Poland's solidarity movement in the 80s, and she was denied permission to shoot on location. So she was like, well, I'm going to make a movie anyways. So she hired American actors to reenact the interviews that were printed in the solidarity pamphlets and publications. She's like being like the journalist that wants to go to Poland, but she gets denied permission. And then you see like these American actors giving interviews that that are exactly what it was printed. So it's these, you know, the, the beginning of like these performative dramatry in, in documentary in, in the 80s, just coming from a problem that she had, right. which is a denied visa and just like a very creative film that was for me mind-blowing in terms of the possibilities of nonfiction and including fiction within the nonfiction. Right. It's a, a great precursor to your film. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. Far From Poland. It sounds, it sounds very interesting. I saw a little clip online and I really liked the way that she was shooting the interviews. It was very like voyeuristic, but made it feel almost more real. But I didn't know that they were actors. So that's even more interesting now. <laughs> I'm going to check it out. Yeah. Elena. Your third and final film. So my third and final film is Fanny and Alexander by Ingmar Bergman. And it's there because it's literally like the first film I remember watching at definitely an age that I shouldn't have been watching it because <laughs> um, I must have been around six, seven, maybe. And um, my mom studied film, so she would take us to the Cinematheque. I have a twin sister who also studied film. I didn't, but eventually worked in film but it was literally like for me the end of innocence watching that film and just living the drama of uh fanny and alexandra's their mother you know their father dies and their mother marries this monster and their life changes drastically so it was forever registered in my memory some of the scenes in that film that i will never forget and i watched it recently and i was I experienced it almost the same as when I was four. So, yeah, that's why it's there on the list. Yeah, it's a it's a visceral experience. Any time, and no matter how many times you watch it, it uh, it's a gut punch for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, six really amazing picks, ladies, and a journey around the world, my listeners at home. If you can't travel this holiday season. You can uh, watch these uh, six movies and you get your global fix and a masterclass in, in filmmaking as well. Daniela and Elena, thank you for being here. Thank you for your picks. Thank you for your film. It's incredible. I can't say enough positive things about it, but I hope this interview did it justice. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you Nicholas. so much. Thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much. A cop movie one more time. It's available on Netflix right now. Check it out. Let us know what you think. And thank you all for listening to Film Forward. We'll catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward, and you'll hear us next time. <laughs>